Coffee One uh, is the new coffee shop in Bicester. I quite enjoy going. It's one of my favourites. I wonder if you've been. Uh, on the wall, there's some paintings, and there's one painting uh, that's uh, caught my eye in particular. Here it is. It's called, the F- it's Full of History uh, about Bicester. Let me read this out to you. In 1826, Bicester experienced civil unrest when the poorest inhabitants, in protest of the state of their living conditions, rioted and destroyed the town hall along with the old shambles. Apparently that was a place in Bicester too. Now look at that picture. A little resemblance of a town church today, perhaps. I was thinking, uh, there's Jake's dog. Uh, remember Archie? He's the one in the middle of the hat. And uh, Vinny's knocking around there somewhere, you can, you can see. Uh, and then there's another book on the shelf uh, in coffee number one that says, um, it says this. History, the really interesting bits. In effect, that's what we're doing today. We're in Genesis, Genesis 12 and 15. And so it is with the story of today. It's what God does. He pulls out the interesting bits and they're slotted into his word. We believe that God's word is inspired by him. It's breathed out. It's to teach us about himself and his rescue plan for mankind. It's not a history book of all things. No, here we get the most interesting bits of history, the bits that reveal what God wants to reveal about himself and his rescue plan. Genesis 12 and 15 are pivotal to understanding God and his rescue plan. And so we'll dive in. Do have your Bibles open in Genesis 12 and 15. And today we're going to look at promises. I was reminded of two promises this week, Uh, one that I kept, uh, no, the one that I made 11 years ago as we celebrated our wedding anniversary, and I was reminded of that promise, till death do us part, of course. I was also reminded by my children that I promised to take them to the local swim baths. Uh, This morning we went, uh, and uh, perhaps that's a promise. I shouldn't have made. Well, we went, but, um, you know, the local swimming bath is cold and it's wet (laughs) and it's hard work with three little ones. Promises. What does it look like to make promises? Very unlike the way that God makes promises. Look at 12 verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, we're going to call call him Abram. It's not uh, Abraham, not yet, not quite. So we'll call him Abram. Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. The land I will show you. Go, go, says God. I'm in charge here and I've got a land for you. Go, Uh, go without knowing, go with eyes closed, go. Better for you to go through this world, go by God's call, rather than be driven by our own prudence and desire with our eyes open. Go with eyes closed, You're, you're mine, I'm your God. And go to the land of Canaan, renowned for its deplorable wickedness. Why not go east? Go, says God. Go with your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. 
why would God want to take Abraham and family into enemy territory? Why? Why on earth? Strangers in the land to inherit the land by faith. Today we see a God who is faithful to his promises and we see a man and his family who trust, trust in God. Look, faith cannot stand unless it is grounded on the promises of God. Verse 2, here they are, the promises of God. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pick out these promises that God makes to Abraham. A great nation, firstly. Look, it's hugely telling in light of us of uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Uh, you might know the story. It simply goes like this. Man is getting too smart, is rejecting God and his rule. And God disperses them as they make a great tower to try and get to him. He disperses them across the land. He scatters them far and wide. He confuses the language and off they go. And so when God promises Abraham that he will become a great nation, that he will be the father of all God's people, this is something special in light of chapter 11. And it's a refrain that is heard constantly repeated throughout the Old Testament. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be your God. You will be my people. Promise one, a great nation. You will have many, many descendants. Promise two, a blessing. Simon's already alluded to it, the curse of the four back in Genesis 3 signified a cutting off from God and a judgment which brings his covenant curses about. And yet, look how Abraham's to be. I will make your name great. Abraham means the exalted father. Abraham, coming later, is the father of multitudes. You will be the father of many, many, many to come. And I will make your name great, God says. The exalted father, the father of multitudes. We sing a song, camp every summer. It goes something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them. Uh, And so are you. Left arm, right arm. Stick your tongue out, nod your head. All that kind of stuff that you do at camps. This is the promise of God to Abraham. Great nation. And you'll be a blessing. A picture. Through this man. There would come blessings. And an even greater blessing through one man. A reversal of the promised curses. And it's a blessing that all people on earth, all generations, all tribes, all nations could know and experience. Here he is, Father Abraham, later on Abraham. And so there's no surprise when the New Testament starts in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 1 verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the father that is promised 
blessing. He promises, God promises through Abraham, the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ to the nations. The one who will undo the covenant curses, the promise of curses for those who reject God. Not too much more on that this week. Way more to come in an overview that helps us see the Lord Jesus. So, Abraham, you will be a great nation. You will be a blessing as you're the father of multitudes and you will be the father of the one who brings the greatest blessing. And then there's also land in there. You see 12 verse 7, we've seen it in 12 verse 1, but 12 verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Great nation, blessing and land. Think for a moment with me. A great nation, multitudes of people. A blessing, no longer covenant curses. A land. Where does your mind go to? The fulfilment of these promises. So we see them in Genesis 12 and 15. A multitude of people. A blessing that reverses the covenant curses. And a land. A land where he is our God and we are his. More on that in weeks to come. I won't spoil the surprise, but I think you've probably guessed where we're talking about. So here are the promises to God. Look how, look how Abraham responds, verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. At the age of 75, Abraham obeyed God. God brought the promises. What does Abraham do? He obeys God. He moves on. He goes forward. At the age of 75, my father's 75. He ain't going nowhere in a hurry. If he, move, if he does move, he'll go either to uh, my sisters. I was going to say I'll come to us, but uh, I don't think he will. Um, he'll go to my sisters. But he's not going to go anywhere else. He's 75 years old. He might go into a home. That's the other possibility for him. But he's doing all right so far. He ain't going nowhere. There's no call that he's going to follow unless God makes it so obvious. Abraham's 75 years old. Don't miss the fact that he moved on. He moves. He moves on the promise of God. Verse 8, from there he went and then on we go. See where he went. Abraham was obedient in trusting the promise of God and fulfilling it. But look, verse 10 to 20. <laughs> Failure straight away. Uh, we've not read this part, but let me just throw it in. Failure straight away. Remember Noah? Remember the big point of Noah? We'll get there in a moment, but it's so very similar. Here's a promise of God. Here's Abraham and his obedience in going. Look, verse 10 to 20. They go on. The place is struck by famine. So they go down to Egypt and Abraham takes the situation into his own hands to protect himself. He lies to Pharaoh. He claims that Sarah, his wife, is actually his sister. He 
takes things in his own hands. He doesn't trust that God will provide. It's failure. Failure. This week I wonder where you failed. This week if I were a fly in the wall, on the wall of the kitchen or the living room, where would you have been found wanting? Failed. Trusting in the promises of God one moment, being obedient to following them the next, and then failing very quickly. Here's the story of Abraham. Very similar to Noah. He trusts God and his promises. But he's not good. He's not good. There's our first set of promises. We see these three times. Look at the next set of promises. Let's go to 15 quickly. 15 verse 1. After this, the, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. See, Genesis 13, 14, wars are starting to ravage the surrounding countries. Abraham's just come off the back of a rescue mission to save his nephew Lot from the four kings. Read that in Genesis 14. And so to add to the promises already that you will be a great nation, that through you will come blessing to the multitudes. And I will deliver you into a land. Here's the fourth key promise that God gives Abraham. It's all about relationship. See, I am your shield. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Kerry and I are reading through the Psalms, Psalm 3. Last night, it said exactly this, Psalm 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. This was David, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Here's the promise to Abraham at this time. You're mine, I'm yours, and I will protect you. I will be like a shield to you. I will care for you. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'm yours. You're mine. I will look after you. There's the promise. And look at the, look at the way that Abraham responds. Unlike the first, where there was a promise and he obeyed and then he failed. Look at this in verse 2. Doubt. Straight away. Verse 2, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Potentially 25 years have passed since the first promises in chapter 12. And the Lord God says, I'm going to be your protector. You're mine. I'm yours. See, Abraham, concerned and caught up with a promise of God that isn't coming to fruition. Whoa, whoa, what can you give me? Don't think that you can be my shield, the one who will protect me. <laughs> what can you give me since I remain childless? 
says Abraham, don't miss this. He doubts God on his promise. How can you do this? Impossible. Doubt. Incredible that I stand up before you, trying to help you understand a little bit more of Genesis 12 and 15. And here I am. I still doubt God's goodness to me. Romans chapter 8, we spent four weeks on this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I stand before you and I doubt the goodness of God. I doubt the goodness of God because something has caught my attention. Something has grabbed me and I want it. See Abraham here? How can you do that for me? I remain childless. Looks like he's doubting and trusting the promise of God. And we see God in his kindness and tenderness. Look at the grace of God. Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them. I I love to imagine God as he walked with Abraham, arm round his shoulder. Abraham, look up there. Don't doubt me. Dear loved one who I promised to protect. I'm your shield, your very great reward. I love you. I'm yours. You're mine. Look at the goodness and the kindness of God, the tender heart of God. These stars are like your descendants. And we see that all all of God's promises are initiated by him in his time, when he wants, when he wishes. He's good and he's kind and he's tender hearted. His promises coming to fruition are not dependent on anything or anyone else. They will come about. Look at verse six. <clears throat> Similar to Noah, as if we were to think, oh, Abraham, he, he's got these promises because he deserves them or, or because he's good. No, 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 look at verse six. Abraham believed the Lord. Again, he believes the Lord here and he credited it to him as righteousness. He's not righteous because he's good. He's not righteous because he's obeyed God in every single way. We've seen that. He hasn't. Look, he's righteous because he trusts. God will bring about his promises and Abraham has trust in them. And he's counted righteous. Look, the last set of promises. Let's go because verse seven, we go again. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. As if the author, Moses, we suspect, needs to prove that point again, but he does. He records it. The Lord says again, I am the Lord your God. I am about my purposes. I am about my promises. For I've already brought you out of your motherland. We're on a journey. Abraham will go this time, won't he? Will he not believe and trust? 
We've already seen verse 6 that it was credited to him as righteousness that he would trust. Look at verse 8. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Oh, Abraham, please, please. Shows the lack of trust in God's promise still. Oh, rather than point the finger at Abraham, isn't this quite comforting? Doesn't this comfort you? That God would still, still deal with a sinner such as me. That I would doubt his goodness and promise to me. That I would doubt that he would bring about his rescue plan for me. That I would get consumed with the things of this earth that would take my attention off off the, the faithful promise of God to rescue me. My greatest need, forgiveness of sins. What does Abraham's belief and behavior teach us about faith? What does it? Well, it teaches us this. We do not base our faith on our current situation. We cannot. We dare not. We do not base our faith on our experience. So we on a high. Therefore, God is good today. We do not base our faith on our joy or lack of it. We do not base our faith on our feeling of God's presence. Is he close or is he, is he far? Imagine if we did that. <laughs> and I'm so culpable of doing that. But I'm reminded, no, no, no. We base our faith on the promises of God that he's faithful to them. Not on my ability to trust them. How can I be sure of God's promises? As Abraham continually questions God, how can I be sure by examining God's past reliability? See where we get this wrong. See where I get this wrong. So often it's so hard. See, does God promise to give me good health? No, he does not. But he promises to give me a new resurrected body. Does God promise financial security in this life for me? No, no, he doesn't. But he promises never to forsake me. And always to be my provider. Does God promise salvation for all of my friends and all of my family? No, he does not. But he promises that he is patient. And he's loving. And he's kind. And he does not want anyone to perish. Does God promise me a companion to live with? And to love for all the days of my life? No, he does not. But he promises that Jesus has brought me back to himself, that he is the only relationship that truly satisfied. Does God promise me well-behaved children? No, he doesn't. But he promises me that I'm his child. And he knows what it looks like, what it looks like to have misbehaving kids. Does God promise an easy life for me? No. He doesn't promise that. But he promises to deal with my greatest need, which is my forgiveness of sins. Would you trust him in that today? See, please don't measure faith. Please don't measure faith by how much you have at a particular time. 
things are going well for you, things are on the up. No, measure faith by how sure and certain the promise is. It's the object of what faith is in, not how much faith I have. Hebrews 11 verse 1, it helps us. The best definition of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of, we, of what we do not see. So why do I flounder still? Why do I flounder? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. It's what Adam and Eve failed to do. It's what Abraham struggled to do. It's what I endeavour to do, but it's only by grace that I'm enabled to do it. Being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And then look at verses 9 to 20. Let's finish. Verses 9 to 20. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham cut all these, brought all these to him and he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. And we have this story, this very strange story as Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And we see God making more promises, making more promises uh, of covenant curses, but also promises uh, to Abraham and to his ancestors. And then verse 17, when the sun had set, darkness had fallen, fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Look what's happening here. This is what's happening. It's a binding agreement. It's called a covenant between two parties. Today, it's simply a, a handshake and a signature. It's a lot easier than this. But this is it, a covenant. It was established. And what would happen to both parties, two parties that were making the covenant would walk between the cut animals, walk in between them. And it was a sign whoever broke their promise would accept, expect and accept the same fate as the animals that were cut in half. Who walks through? It's only God. Do you see that? God commits himself to his promise. He does that without Abraham having to do anything. I will do it, says God. I will do it. It's an unconditional promise. God knew that Abraham couldn't keep his promise of obedience. He knows that I cannot. He knows that you cannot. God will do it. And he walked between the cut animals. Incredible. So does that mean we do nothing? Is that the question that is begged here? Does that mean we do nothing? I know I'm going to be disobedient, so why bother? No, no, no. This is how we exercise our faith. This is how we put faith into practice. This is what it looks like to put my trust in the promises of God, because I know he's faithful. He's walked. He's made a covenant with Abraham. So what do I do? What do we do? 
What do we do as a church? Will we continue to read and teach God's word, remind ourselves of God's promises, to trust in them? We continue to meet one another. The gathering, that's why we say Sunday is so important. Don't miss it. Don't do anything else on a Sunday afternoon. Make it to church. Join a home group. Join a growth group. We meet to spur one another on to keep trusting in the promises of God. And don't you find you just want to trust? Don't you just want to trust God? God, please help me to trust you. Let's finish with a great Disney classic. Finding Dory. I actually like Finding Dory better than Finding Nemo. I know that's uh, potentially controversial, but here's the story. They're Dory's mum and dad. There they are. If you know the story, uh, you'll get it. But here they are because Dory went missing from the aquarium. And they put constant hope that Dory would come back one day. That she would come back. And they acted on the hope that one day she would come back. And her father said this, says this in the movie, Dory, we believe that one day you would find us again. We stayed in this spot ever since, and every day we'd go and lay one more shell. Dory's parents, in constant hope that Dory would come back, acted upon that faith. Here's the challenge. Will you be like Dory's parents? Unlike, very unlike the distant hope of Dory coming back, I've got assurance Absolute certainty through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done it. He's coming back. He'll take us home. I'm his forever. So what does it look like to trust in God today on his promises? What does it look like to stand on his promises? To put a shell out in the hope that God is faithful to his promises. Well, it means to trust him in the unknown, to find joy in trusting him in the unknown, to find joy in his promises and not in your circumstances. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. You see what the Christian life is all about? It's about walking by faith, not by sight. That's it. I walk by faith, not by sight. And as I trust, I act. I act in good faith that God is true to his promises. And I'm thankful to Christ for what he's done.